You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, but the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. I'm Aaron Fishman. Thanks for finding us. With the Western Conference standings so bunched up, as of recording time, nine teams are within one and a half games of one another, it was time to learn more about the 5-5 Denver Nuggets. While leading scorer Danilo Gallinari is no longer around, much of the team's core has returned. That said, the team is still integrating newcomer and four-time All-Star Paul Millsap. How's that process going? And how do these Nuggets stack up against the other Western teams seemingly in the same tier? Adam Mades, host of the excellent Locked On Nuggets podcast and site manager for SB Nation's Denver Stiffs, is the guy to help us answer these burning questions. Here's an icebreaker to help you become better acquainted with Adam. Back in 2007. While backpacking in Africa, he got stranded in the extremely remote Shaobi Desert in northern Kenya for three days. He was returning from a visit with a team of paleoanthropologists at Lake Turkana when his rental car popped three tires at once. They had just one spare. So Adam, a friend, and a hitchhiker they'd picked up from the tiny rural village of North Hor had to wait two nights for a car to pass through and help them repair the tires. All the while, they had nothing but some dry food and five gallons of water. After making it back to the main highway, their tires continued to have issues en route to Nairobi, as they stopped to make eight repairs in total. On an unrelated note, our guest played against Wizards forward Jason Smith, when Smith was a quote, goofy-looking freshman who kept blocking my shot on one end, and scoring on me at will on the other. Now that we all know one another, Adam and I have a Nuggets discussion to get to. Adam, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. I'm excited to do it too. The Nuggets are a fascinating team. So are you ready to talk Nuggets basketball right now? I'm always ready to talk about the Nuggets. (laughs) That's great to hear. That's why we have you on. So we're just going to open with a general, really open-ended question the Nuggets are 5-5 five and five right now. We've seen some good things and some bad things. Wednesday, they blew out a very good Raptors team, leading by more than 30 at one point. Most recently, they fell to the Warriors in a game that saw a lot of runs for both teams. How are you feeling about the team right now? I think the record really reflects where the team is at right now. They're a 5-5 five and five team. Um, the Toronto win is the one... I think you would say really good win. I think every other game has kind of gone as expected, more or less. Um, They're very much a team that is adjusting to three new starters um, and Paul Millsap being uh, obviously a big part of that. And so I think they're a team that still has a lot of potential and is showing a lot of signs of improvement. But at the moment, through 10 games, they are very much a five and five team. It's just so early. You don't really know completely what to expect, but we're learning a lot already. Last season, Denver allowed 110.5 points per 100 possessions. As I'm sure you're aware, that ranked second worst in the league. 
Now, even though they rank 23rd in defensive efficiency through 10 games, I think an important caveat is that they have faced the Warriors, Wizards, and Raptors, all very good offensive teams. And from my standpoint, at least, they've improved defensively. To what extent am I right about that? And how sustainable is that potential improvement? Well, I think you're you're right about the Warriors game that wrecked. I think it, it's it's kind of funny because with these small sample sizes of just ten games, really the difference between playing the Warriors and having not played the Warriors is pretty steep. And so they they gave up I think 129 points to the Warriors and just got absolutely run out of the gym. It was also Denver's fifth game in seven nights, the second night of a back to back. Um, so that game, I think really wrecked their defensive rating and some of their defensive metrics, but I think you're right. They are an improved defensive team. And I think one of the things about Jokic, I think his, uh, rim protection metrics are going to go through the roof this year relative to what they were. He has a reputation of being, you know, a non-defender and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. His athleticism really limits him in, in some one-on-one situations, but what he is really good at is he's got really long arms and really, really, really great hands. I think his hands are as good as anybody in the NBA in terms of getting steals, catching tough passes and rebounds and things like that. So he does a really good job of playing good positional defense. And then Millsap does just a great job of kind of covering him on the backside. There's been a lot of plays where Jokic has contained the pick and roll, but the roll man has kind of gotten towards the rim and Millsap has has rotated over perfectly and anticipated to take it away. So I think defensively that pairing can be a an above average front court defensive duo. They're by no means look like a top 10 defense or anything like that, but I think that a realistic expectation for him defensively this year is probably somewhere between 15th and and where they are now, which is 23rd. I suspect they'll probably finish in that like 18, 19 range, somewhere right in the middle there. But they're improved defensively, no doubt, and Paul Millsap is a huge part of that. It's fun watching him. When I go back and I, I rewatch every Nuggets game, so I always get at least two two views of it. And every time on rewatch, there's something I see in Paul Millsap doing that I didn't catch the first time. I think he's that type of player, especially on the defensive end. So I think they look like a team. I, I think the best you could say about the Nuggets right now is that offensively, they look like a completely different team. But I think I, at least at this point, feel optimistic that they're going to be back to what they were last year, at least mostly offensively, which was they were the number one team for four months last year uh, in terms of offensive rating. I think they're going to get back to close to that level of production offensively. And I think defensively, like I said, they're probably 18th, 19th best team. So the combination of those two, I think, is certainly a, a pretty good team. And speaking of on the offensive end, their pace has slightly dipped while the median pace around the league has gone up from 98.5 to 100.7 so it's not like they're playing a lot slower it's just that pretty much every other team around the league is speeding up their pace of play do you think that's a conscious adjustment by Mike Malone or is that just kind of how it's played out so far I don't think it's a conscious decision by the coaching staff. I think it's really a result of them not really being familiar with each other at this point. Jokic really quarterbacked the offense last year from the center position. He was a point center. And that wasn't just a cliche. He really was the the facilitator on offense. And 
they spread the court. They played five out or four out almost all of the time. Um, everybody kind of just worked around him. It was interesting. Steve Kerr was in town yesterday with the Warriors, and, and he said that the Nuggets offense last season was like a pinwheel where, where Jokic was the center of that, and everybody's kind of operating and cutting and, and spacing around him. Well, this season, it hasn't. they haven't really gotten to that uh, quite yet. I think they're moving in that direction, but you know they're playing through Paul Millsap a lot, as I think you would expect. He's a four-time All-Star. And guys are just kind of figuring out new roles, you know, around Millsap. Millsap's learning how to play off of Jokic and Jokic off of Millsap. And so right now, in particular, their half-court offense has been pretty bad. Um, Not just a little bit of a step back, but I think a huge step back. Cleaningtheglass.com, I think, has them as the 29th most efficient half-court offense. But they're being propped up right now offensively with offensive rebounds and transition points. So that's why I say a lot of the metrics and then also just the eye test kind of points towards this is a team that's really, really, really struggling in five-on-five offense, but everything else is kind of looking improved over last year. So you have to assume that as good as they were last year on offense, they're going to get back to that at least to some degree here pretty soon. Yeah, clearly still integrating Paul Millsap. Speaking of him, the 32-year-old was awarded a huge contract this past offseason. The Nuggets are on the hook for two years and I think around $61 million but they retain the third-year team option for the 2019-20 season, and that's when he'll turn 35 in February. Some people initially criticized the deal. What's the importance of that option with regard to preserving long-term cap flexibility? It's everything. I I, I think you know this offseason for Denver was very mixed. I think I'm pretty down on a lot of the things they did in terms of some of the trades and draft waving Jameer Nelson. But in terms of this deal with Paul Millsap. It's among the best deals in Nuggets history. You look at it, they have two years of cap flexibility to, to spend on a player. So you could say, you know, $61 is an overpay for a guy of his caliber, although I don't think so. He's a he's tremendous defensive player, two-way player. But that third year being a player, a, a team option, you know, I don't think the Nuggets really have any intention of picking that up. Um, but what it does, being a team option, is it allows the Nuggets to decline that option and then restructure a deal for him without him having to, you know, claim waivers or anything like that. So almost certainly the way this will play out assuming the team shows improvement over the next two years is they'll decline that third year and then just sign him again for a much smaller deal maybe a longer but smaller deal so I I think it's a home run deal in terms of how they structured that I think it's a really good deal too people just were critical before they really understood it I think for the most part when you see three years 90 million next to a guy's name who's 32 years old I think that understandably scares a lot of people. But then when you delve into the details, it makes so much more sense. And he's such a good player. Talking more about him. So I understand that it is a process in integrating him on both ends. I'm curious, though, the role that the considerable team continuity has played in easing his integration into the team. I know they lost leading scorer Danilo Gallinari. And you said three new starters this season. But all that aside, all the main pieces are back other than Gallinari. How much is the continuity helping with that? I think interestingly enough, the Nuggets have not looked like a team that has continuity. And I I think it's because, for one, Gallo's such a unique piece. I think you look at Gallinari, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. They're very, very unique players, all three of them. And so I think losing Gallo and adding Millsap, you're not just kind of adding your standard you know, power forward or anything like that. It's a unique skill set. So those pieces, I don't think, 
I don't think it's correct to kind of look at it as, oh, it's just one guy, because it really is a big addition and subtraction. And then you look at Wilson Chandler was a primary scorer off of the bench last year. He's basically the fifth option now. So again, I think that's another pretty big adjustment for him personally. He's he's really been a defensive stopper for the Nuggets this early season and an afterthought offensively. And then Jamal Murray entering the starting lineup. Um, the point guard position is if you really want to explain why Denver is five and five and not, you know, six and four, maybe seven and three, you have to look at the point guard position, which Emmanuel Moutier and Jamal Murray are taking turns right now with good games. Basically one will have a good game while the other one has a horrible game. And Malone is, is sort of riding the hot hand. There hasn't really been a one closer at the point guard position. There hasn't been one guy that's playing consistent minutes here or there. So it really is three new starters that all have new roles and responsibilities. And I think that's why despite the roster having continuity one through 15 there's some discontinuity in terms of the roles people have yeah that's good to know how would you characterize the chemistry between Millsap and Jokic a lot of people were really excited going into the season about the passing ability from those two big men playing together right um yeah i w- it's not really great at the moment and i don't think it's cause for concern i coming into the season i was one of the few voices that thought this pairing was going to take time i think it's a great pairing i think they're going to be a dynamic f- four or five combo but i thought it was going to take a lot of adjustment because as i mentioned both guys are so unique it's not uh, last year the best front court pairing for nikola jokic was kenneth farid who kenneth farid is an extremely low usage player not l- not low usage in terms of usage percentage but just in terms of he just finishes plays. He doesn't touch the ball. He doesn't post up. He doesn't shoot outside jumpers. He just dunks and offensive rebounds. And that allowed Jokic to be an extremely high usage player. You know, he was the center of that pinwheel. Now with uh, Paul Millsap, you, he's too valuable and too skilled of a player for you to ask him just to go an offensive rebound and stay out of the way. He's too good for that. And Nikola Jokic is too good to kind of be asked to do the other. So I think right now the chemistry isn't very good between those two on the offensive end. But it's also, a, it's a, for me at least, something that was very, very expected heading into the season. From what you're saying, it sounds like they have their work cut out for them because Jokic is just too multi-talented and skilled to not be able to to shine to his full potential. You want Millsap and him to really showcase their full range of skills, right? Well, you know, I think the way you can think of it, and this is the corniest analogy to use, but people always compare basketball and musicians. It's kind of like having two great lead guitarists. And I think if when it blends, it's going to work really cool with you know, both guys kind of going back and forth, but at the moment it's, it's a lot of guys stepping on each other's notes. And, and so I think that's where I'd put it right now. And I, and like I said, I anticipated this coming in because I knew how much both of those guys like to have the ball in their hand and, and kind of play make. So right now they're filling each other out, but that Toronto game, which was just three games ago, that was the game where I think everything kind of came together for them and both guys were playing so well off of each other. So I know, we've seen glimpses of it and both guys from talking to them at practice and after games, they're both so willing to figure out how to work together. It's just a matter of, of actually getting there and figuring it out. So I, I think it'll get there. That metaphor that you just used remind me of King's owner Vivek Ranadive oh, no. <laughs> once when he was talking about in the press conference about orchestra and um and individual instrument players but i don't worry i wasn't comparing you to vivek <laughs> well i hope it just not, reminded me now i'm less confident in my metaphor 
<laughs> no, it was a good one though. But uh, back to Jokic, he's so streaky, hit or miss, inconsistent, whatever you want to call it. The same guy who scored 28 and 29 against the Knicks and Wizards respectively, he also has four games of single-digit scoring. And technically, I think zero doesn't qualify as single digits, but (laughs) I'm counting that game that he was held scoreless in 30 minutes on 0 for 3 shooting. How is that happening? Well, first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strongly disagree with you about his consistency. In last season, one of the more remarkable things about the run that he had was that in a four-and-a-half-month period where he was the starting center and the focal point of the offense, he had maybe one or two bad games in that entire stretch. He was incredibly consistent, both with his shooting percentages and, and his assist numbers. All of those things were remarkably steady. This season, as you mentioned, he started the season in a very weird place, and I think actually kind of maybe not sulking, but letting some of the frustrations of seeding so much of the offense to Millsap, I think it got to him. And from the second half of the Utah Jazz game until the end of the Sacramento game, he took just five shots in six quarters. And a lot of that was him passing up shots. And like I said, I think I think there was a little bit of frustration showing through to where he was just like, well, fine, I'm not going to shoot it. So being held scoreless in that game, I think had more to do with Jokic's mind frame and and making a point than it did to have, you know, with anything, certainly with anything Sacramento did. Curiously enough in that game, he had a, he was the team high plus 21, which I think the next closest guy was like a plus eight or something. So um, I, I do think this year his scoring is going to be maybe a little bit more up and down. But his playmaking, I think, will ultimately get to a point where the offense is flowing through him and and a lot of the stuff that he did last year, he's going to do on a very consistent basis. By the way, I love when our guests disagree with me. That's the whole point of doing this, where we have (laughs) experts on the team come on and enlighten us. We can only do so much research. You're there, game in and game out, watching them. And so that helps a lot. And also, when I said he was streaky, I didn't mean overall as a whole. I should have clarified. I meant so far this season from a scoring standpoint, but definitely it makes sense and it's helpful to know. So the pairing of Gary Harris and Jamal Murray has been exciting for me to see. When they share the court together, the team's enjoying a plus 4.3 net rating and it was a lot better before the Warriors (laughs) game skewed it. Yeah. Again, sample size, small sample size talk. Also, when each player is resting, the team's defensive efficiency suffers. So those two do a lot. Talking about three-point shooting, Gary Harris shot 42% from three last year, and he's even better through 10 games this season. And every year since he's been in the league, he's gotten better in that respect. Meanwhile, 20-year-old Jamal Murray has started every game this season after logging just nine starts his rookie year so that is a transition as you mentioned but here's your chance to rave about this exciting backcourt duo gary harris is uh he's mr consistent mr reliable i think would probably be the better way to describe him he doesn't really go out of his way to create offense for the team he doesn't beat people off the dribble or make great you know, plays with the within the pick and roll. But what he does do is he knocks down the shots he's supposed to, and he knows which shots he's supposed to take and which ones he isn't. Um, if he can get to the rim, he gets to the rim and, and finishes through traffic and with athleticism. If he's open on the perimeter, he's very, very good at, at shot selection outside uh, the three-point line, and I think that goes a long way to why he's such a great three-point shooter. 
I, I absolutely love what he's doing this year. And defensively, you know, he has the reputation as a 3 and D player, but I think defensively his reputation really wasn't warranted. So far, it's, it's only been a little bit, you know, so far this season, but his defense has looked much improved. Um, Jamal Murray has been much more hot and cold. And I think one of the things that statistically is working for that duo is that the duos behind them, uh, Emmanuel Moutier and, and, and to a lesser extent Will Barton, but certainly Emmanuel Moutier have just not been great defensively. So um, Jamal Murray does a lot of things on the defensive end very well. He's got some long arms that he, he constantly plays uh, in the, the line of sight when he's guarding point guards coming off of screens. He really gets his hands up and kind of blocks some of the passing angles for kickouts. And then he just plays hard. Uh, he wears the other team's point guard out by full court pressing nonstop. So he uh, his offense hasn't quite come around uh, this season. He started the season like in a seven-game shooting slump where I think he only made two three-pointers. But he's broken out of that a little bit, and uh, I think his offense will be much more up and down all season. But his defensive effort and intensity at least has been impressive. On the topic of young guards, 2015 lottery pick Emmanuel Moutier He's young. He won't turn 22 until March. He hasn't exactly lived up to high expectations, but he's picked up his play recently from what I've seen. How much patience do you think that the franchise will have with him before it just gives up on the player? I think this is probably a make or break year for him. Quite frankly, if he's not having a great season by February, I think he'll be, uh, I think the Nuggets will look to replace him as the backup or our starting point guard Eric Bledsoe is a guy whose name has been connected to Denver for not just during the stint where he's been away from the team but even at the draft so I think with Moutier he has so many he shows flashes of elite skill at, at some things one of them is his first step he gets by just about everybody um, and puts pressure on the defense to kind of rotate. He's got incredible wrist strength, so he he can really and great vision, so he's able to make some really difficult passes and and some really jaw dropping assists. The problem with him is just his decision making. You know, people talk about his shot. I think he's actually a pretty decent underrated three point shooter on the catch and shoot. His problem, along with all of his problems with basketball, are decision making, and that includes shot selection. He takes some shots that he just absolutely never. Should in any any situation and that tanks his percentages all around and then also just uh his turnovers he has that quick first step and he gets into the paint but he doesn't always make great decisions or finish through contact once he gets there so i think that's the problem with him and you know it's been two and a half seasons now i should just say two seasons and 10 games and there really hasn't been a huge sign of improvement from my perspective in the decision making and i think that's what's concerning do you think it's that decision making that in large part explains the poor two-point shooting percentage it hasn't been good all career so far for him i think there's two things that play into it one is for whatever reason he just cannot finish at the rim through either through contact or just through contesting um so he really, really does a bad job of that. And I don't know why, because he's 6'5", with a really good frame, uh, explosive. He's got all of the makings of a guy that you think would be an elite finisher at the rim. And it just isn't there right now. But I do think shot selection plays into it quite a bit as well. I'm actually writing on him on denverstiffs.com this week, a deep dive. I always do a Wednesday deep dive on the Nuggets. And he'll be the subject uh, that I explored this week. And a lot of it will have to do with his decision-making out of the pick and roll. He likes to attack. And he likes to attack the, the, the rim protector and go right at him and that's not that sometimes that's great and you put pressure on the rim protector to not foul but more often than not with him he just ends up getting his shot blocked and that leads to transition points the other way 
That's great. I look forward to reading that piece. Zach Mikash at Denver Stiffs, I saw predicted Will Barton would win sixth man of the year this season before the year. Yeah. He finished fourth in sixth man voting last season. In which ways is he most integral to Denver's success off the bench? He's huge, and he's in a contract year. He was a guy that was buried on Portland's bench for several years, I think two and a half years, and then Denver picked him up. He got a chance, and he's really shined. He's one of the most important players on the team. I mentioned Moutier has that quick step and is able to get around his defender and put pressure on the defense to rotate. I think Will Barton is the only other guy on the team that really is great at that skill. You've got a lot of guys that play within the system and pass and cut and execute, but you don't have a lot of guys that just one-on-one can get around their man and and make something happen. Will Barton's great at that. He's a one-on-one player, and he's not a selfish one-on-one player. I think he's an aggressive one-on-one player, but he doesn't... You know, he's not one of these guys that you see dribbling 16, 17 times in a possession. He just attacks and attacks with with speed and with athleticism. So I'm a huge fan of his. He's got great length, um, great athleticism. He was in the dunk contest a couple years ago. He's a guy that can finish well above the rim. So he's been huge for Denver. He's been a little bit up and down over the last four games. I think he's kind of been in a little bit of a a slump. But uh, his playmaking off of the bench and just his ability to kind of get past his man has been huge. And lastly, uh, Moutier and Murray have, have kind of alternated who's been having the better game. But when both of them have been shaky, Will Barton kind of plays the point guard duty in the closing lineup. So he'll enter that closing lineup sometimes as a point guard. And he's been pretty good at that. It's not his natural position, but he's done a pretty good job. Barton's fun to watch. He's just explosive off the bench and he scores in so many different ways. Yeah. He's one of my favorite personalities too. He's he's an absolutely great guy to be around and he's funny and he's got a lot of style. He he's he's a lot of fun. The people's champion, right? He is and he and it fits him. That's a great name for him. <laughs> it is. Another key rotation player, Wilson Chandler, you alluded to this earlier. His role is totally different this season as opposed to previous years. He still starts and plays around 30 minutes per game, but he's taking the fewest shots per game that he has since his rookie season way back. What is that new role? Try to describe it for us if you can. Well, I think last year, one of the things that was so great about Wilson was off of the bench, he's 6'8". He could play power forward, which I think is his best position is is like a stretch four. Um, He even said the other day, I think in the Toronto game where they got to go a little bit smaller, he went out of his way post game to say, I really like small ball, almost hinting at, I wish we would play it more. So I think that's his natural position is stretch four, especially off of the bench where he can be more of a gunner. The offense hasn't really been flowing other than that Toronto game. The offense hasn't really been flowing this year. And he's a guy that I think has been the casualty of that. The Nuggets don't want him going one-on-one. He's a pretty good one-on-one player, especially when he gets a miss, like an extreme mismatch, which is why he's so good as a stretch four. Um, he can out quick big guys and he can post up little guys. But the Nuggets offense in the starting unit doesn't really want him to do that. They want to move the ball and, and, and try to play, you know, a very high motion game. So, I think they're still figuring out how to use him, but to his credit, his usage has gone down, his shots have gone down, all these things. He's still been one of the better defensive players, and one of the players on that front unit that has made that such a good starting unit defensively. So he has a lot of defensive versatility and is one of the few guys that can guard you know, two, three, and four at a pretty high level. Yeah, looking at the lineup data, a lot of the lineups with Wilson Chandler in are doing pretty well defensively. And and that's good to see that he's still contributing, even though he's not shooting or scoring nearly as much. You need that 
on a team guys to sacrifice in certain ways one guy though that is really on the outside looking in from my perspective is Kenneth Farid after being a part of the team for so long and just being such a critical member I'd love to understand more about that if it's just um, the influx of talent and just going with the young guys more or what's behind that and also can they reasonably expect to get anything of value if they try to trade him? I know he'll be making, I think, nearly $13.8 million next season. Well, I have to say that I am fully team Kenneth Fareed in terms of I think he has an incredible value in basketball that, you know, you look at his raw skill, he can't really shoot. Um, he's not a great defender. So you think, okay, he's, he's kind of a dinosaur in terms of uh, NBA power forwards. But he actually, last year, was the best pairing alongside Nikola Jokic, not just in the front court. It was the best two-man pairing on the team and an enormous sample size. I think over 700 minutes, they outscored teams by 13 or 14 points per 100 possessions. They were just an absolutely dynamic 4-5 combo. And again, part of that was because Kenneth Freed's such a low-usage player. He's so tenacious on the offensive glass that he kind of requires a defender to stick with him at all times. You have to box him out like a half-second earlier than you would most guys because he's that good at at grabbing and, and putting those shots back. The problem has been that the Nuggets have, in addition to kind of losing some of their small ball flexibility, they also just have way too many power forwards. And Mason Plumley is a guy that they look to as being a big part of the team, not just this year, but for a couple seasons going forward. And so he's getting the lion's share of those minutes. I don't think it's not my favorite combination, especially playing Plumley alongside Jokic, I think takes away a lot of what makes Jokic great. But... Uh, Unfortunately, Kenneth Freed, I think it's just a numbers game and somebody's minutes were going to get cut and they're cutting his. If it were my preference going into the season, I would have prioritized Freed over Plumlee because I just think that Freed fits alongside both Millsap and Jokic a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Quick question. Do you think there's anything left in the tank for Richard Jefferson? He's barely played <laughs> so far, but maybe in the playoffs, if he's still around, he could contribute. I thought when the trade happened that he would be a guy that would play and that they would play him at the four or Wilson at the four and kind of go with both of those guys out on the court at the same time and have some length and, and, and outside shooting. He really isn't a part of the team so far. And I don't know. They've been on the road basically since acquiring him and then have had some back-to-back games at home. So maybe now with a couple of days to practice, he'll enter the rotation a little bit more. But I, I doubt it. I think he's really just here to be an end-of-the-bench mentor-type guy. And um, they looked at Jameer Nelson as a guy that they were ready to move on and, and give Moody and, and Murray more minutes. And so they figured an end of bench guy is, is okay to have, especially a guy as well respected around the league as him. So I don't think he's going to play. Yeah. I was going to say it's a cliche in a sense, but a lot of young teams like to add that veteran mentor. A lot of times that guy doesn't even play that much. I'm thinking maybe like Vince Carter in Sacramento now, for example. There are a lot of other examples, but maybe, yeah, maybe he could do that. That would be cool to see. The other thing I think for Denver is, you know, they're trying to build something here with this young core, but in the next couple of years, maybe even as soon as the trade deadline, they're going to try to go after some bigger names. And Denver has not had much success outside of Paul Millsap. They have not had much success pursuing free agents and getting free agents to sign there. I think part of signing Mike Miller for the last couple of years and now signing Richard Jefferson is those are guys that are connected to a lot of people around the league, including a lot of your top talent. So I think part, at least part of the idea, I think he's mainly here to be a mentor, but part of the idea is kind of to show Richard Jefferson like, hey, 
this is an organization that's trying to um, throw their hat in the ring as one of the up and coming organizations around the league and, and go and tell your friends, let them know. Yeah, that's cool. I have to say, it's been really fun talking with you. You're so smart and insightful about the Nuggets. And yeah, it, it just, it's just, it's been great. Thank you. I have one more question for you before I let you go. Early on in the season, the West kind of seems wide open, especially if you look outside of the top three or so. I'd like to get a projected finish from you, whether it's record or what type of seed they'll get. They're enduring a four-season drought where they've right. been out of the playoffs. So I'd love also to hear if you think they'll finally break that playoff drought. Well, first of all, thanks so much for the compliment and for having me on. I always like talking about this team. It's, uh, it's, they're a lot of fun to cover, and I, I really enjoy what I do. So thanks for that. No problem. They need more national attention, too. There, there's too many teams that are fascinating, and no one's really talking about the Nuggets, I think. Fortunately, the Lakers will be on TV about 60 more times this year, so you get a lot of Lakers, <laughs> Lakers talking. What did LeVar just say? <laughs> exactly. So, um, I think you look at this Nuggets team, I'm not willing to give up on the idea that they're a seven seed with maybe more likely to be a six than a nine seed. So I think a seven seed, maybe an eight seed is the most likely outcome for them. And right now, as I mentioned, they've shown some signs of being close. Uh, but until they turn that corner, you can't really say. But there's, you're right, there's a lot of talent in the West. It's so early. It was funny, I was talking to Kevin Durant in the locker room in the scrum yesterday, and he said he looks around the league, and the first 10 games, everybody's kind of just figuring out who and what they are, and then after that is when everybody kind of starts to, that's when some of these trends actually become habits, and habits become the team's identity. And I think that's, the next 10 games are really going to kind of show who which teams are for real and which teams aren't uh the clippers i suspect probably aren't as good as they've looked early on the same is probably true for utah and those are two teams that denver are competing with for that seven eight nine seed uh portland's another team that i don't think we really know are they as good as they looked in that first five games or are they more like they looked in the last five so um i think denver will ultimately end up the seven seed and somewhere around 45 wins but i think we'll know a lot better here in the next uh three weeks or so I like that. I was talking to Kevin Durant the other day, name drop. <laughs> I had to get that in, you know. <laughs> it was one of my you favorite should, interviews I've done in a while, to be honest. <laughs> you should text KD. We appreciate that quote right there. That really helped us close the show. I'll let him know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Adam, though. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>